The Guardian. The image of a tortured man erupted on the world's most popular website. If you are watching this, the victim said, I've been killed by the Russian state. Nicholas Creel, stereotypical billionaire megalomaniac, smiled wryly. Without bothering to make a few basic checks, every country now believed the Cold War had restarted. It wasn't just about the money, Creel thought, though the $3,000 trillion he was about to make as the world's biggest arms manufacturer would come in handy now every government had octupled their defence budgets. He was also making the world safer. Shaw's six-foot-five-inch frame burst into an Amsterdam apartment and took out 136 Muslim terrorists single-handedly. This would be his last job for Frank. He had served his time. He had something more important to do. Katie James was too hungover to care that every chapter seemed to start in much the same way. She remembered the boy's death that had sent her spiralling from Pulitzer Prize-winning journalist to washed-up alcoholic on the obituaries page. A tragedy was always a good substitute for depth of character, she thought, as she looked out of her Scottish hotel window. Anna Fisher the world's most beautiful and intelligent woman, said yes in all the 9,000 languages in which she was fluent, as Shaw proposed. But please tell me your first name, she pleaded. I'm far too tough to have one, he grunted. Frank Wells shook his head. You haven't even told Anna what you do, he said. So let me remind you that you're never going to stop working for this top-secret but basically good Maverick Law Enforcement Agency. Now go off and kill 521 drug dealers in Scotland. Katie stumbled on 521 drug dealers. Shaw jumped in front of her, taking a full Uzi magazine in the chest before killing the last 128 dealers. He wiped away the blood and left. I bet he's got a beautiful girlfriend called Anna who works for Phoenix, the world's most respected think tank, Katie reckoned. I'll make friends with her. Creel was pleased with life. The perception management campaign was going well. The Russians had just killed 15,002 Taliban extremists. Now for his final coup. He alone knew that Phoenix was actually owned by the Chinese. Anna suspected that she was the only person in the world to suspect the Russians were being set up. This was the last thought she ever had, as men dressed as Russian soldiers gunned down the entire Phoenix staff in their London office before escaping unnoticed. We need Shaw. Frank said to Royce, the MI5 agent. Shaw howled with grief and intensive care after his run-in with 21,784 French neo-Nazis. Let's get the bastards, he spat, pulling out the life support tubes. I can manage with a ruptured aorta, 
but I can't manage without Anna. I think you'll find you can, Katie muttered, sensing she could be the new love interest. Creel rubbed his hands on his 23,019-metre yacht as a border skirmish broke out between Russian and Chinese troops. Oil was up to $130 a barrel. The world was in crisis. Just as well, no one in the book realised that was actually a $9 fall. Katie eyed up her third Pulitzer Prize as she filed her inside story of the Phoenix Massacre. You've been set up, grunted Shaw. Then only you can save the world, she sobbed. Shaw watched as the tracking device hidden in Katie's brain led him to Creel's yacht. It must be a surprise that I'm Creel's stooge and have kidnapped Katie, Royce sneered. Not really, said Shaw, as he garroted him, before breaking the necks of 17,852 other henchmen and gratuitously ripping open his own abdomen to pull out a phosphor bomb he had unnecessarily planted there. Moments later, Creel was a pile of ash. You've saved the world, Katie sighed. Now we can put aside our demons and be together. Self-important author's note. This could all really happen. The digested read digested. Like hell. The Outsider by Albert Camus Mother died today. Or maybe yesterday. Biff, who cares? The old people's home is 50 miles from Algiers, so I asked my boss for two days off. He didn't seem pleased. I caught the two o'clock bus. It was very hot. I slept most of the way. Mrs. Merceau was very happy here, the warden said. She was bored living with you. It was true. She cried a lot the first few days at the home. But that was only because she wasn't used to it. After a month, she'd have cried if she'd been taken away. That's partly why I never went to see her. And also because it was too much effort. The caretaker began to unscrew the coffin lid. Sorry, can I do that bit? The caretaker began to unscrew the coffin lid. I stopped him. Don't you want to see the body? he asked. No, I answered. Why not? I'm not bothered. The inmates came to join the vigil. I'd never before noticed what huge paunches old women can have. Their sobbing interrupted my sleep. The sun was already high in the sky as the procession moved off. Was she old? the undertaker asked. I shrugged. Maybe. At last, her body was in the blood-red earth. I could go home and sleep for twelve hours. I decided to go swimming the next day. In the water, I met Marie Cordona, 
who used to be a typist in the office. I brushed against her and asked if she wanted to go to the cinema. She seemed surprised when I turned up in a black tie. I told her mother had died. She wanted to know when. When afar. The film was pretty stupid. Afterwards, she came back to my place. When I woke up the next morning, Marie had gone. I spent the day smoking cigarettes and staring out of the window. It was hot in the office the next day, and I walked home by the docks. On the way upstairs, I bumped into old Salamano, my next-door neighbour, who was swearing at his mange-ridden dog. He's always here. He said. Then why don't you get rid of it and get another one? I suggested. Just then, my other neighbour came in. Locals say he lives off women. He's always seemed fine to me. He's called Raymond. He invited me in for black pudding and told me he'd been in a fight with his Moorish girlfriend's brother. He was upset that I'd beaten her up. He said. But she had been deceiving me. Is that not fair enough? I'd been smoking Raymond's cigarettes, so I said it did seem fair. He asked me to write a letter for him that would hurt and punish her. He was extremely pleased when I agreed. Marie and I were disturbed by dull thuds and a woman's shrill voice. People gathered on the landing and banged on Raymond's door. He hit me, the woman said. The plumber called a policeman. Raymond asked me to be a witness. He told me to say she had cheated on him. I agreed, and he asked if I wanted to go to a brothel. I refused, as it was far too tiring. The following week, Raymond phoned me. He said that a friend had invited me to stay at his chalet on Sunday. I asked if I could bring Marie. That evening, Marie asked me if I wanted to marry her. If you want, I replied, I ain't really bothered. Did I love her? Beth? Maybe yes. Maybe no. Probably not. We walked in silence for a while. I asked her if she wanted to eat with me. She said she was doing something. She looked at me. Don't you want to know what? I did, but I couldn't be bothered to ask. The sun was very hot. We met up with Raymond and his friend Masson, and went for a walk along the beach. We came across his former lover's brother sitting with a group of other Arabs. There was a fight. Masson got cut. The Arabs ran off. Later, Raymond handed me his gun. I walked down the beach alone. I met the Arab. It was even hotter now. I shot him once. Then I shot him four times more. Why did you shoot him? The magistrate asked me. It was too hot. Do you miss your mother? I'm not bothered. Do you believe in God? 
I said I ain't bothered. Marie came to visit me once. Would you have got married to anyone who had asked you? She said. Probably. Apart from missing cigarettes, I quite enjoyed my eleven months in prison. And I even got used to not having cigarettes after a while. My case came up the following summer. It was very hot in the court, and I felt dizzy as the prosecuting lawyer questioned me. Did I love my mother? Whatever. Had I picked up a girl the day after the funeral? Whatever. Had I deliberately gone back to the beach to shoot the Arab? Whatever. It was very hot when the foreman of the jury read out the guilty verdict. The judge told me in a peculiar way that I would be decapitated in a public square in the name of the French people. Did I have anything to say? I thought it over. Not really, I said. I ain't that bothered. Three times I refused to see the chaplain. He looked at me sadly, begging me to hand my soul over to God. Eventually I grabbed his cassock in frustration. I'd lived in a certain way. I'd done some things, and I hadn't done others. I realised that I'd been happy, that I was happy now. For the final consummation, all I needed was a crowd of spectators at my execution saying they weren't bothered either. For more discussion and analysis, download Guardian Daily. That's The Guardian's news podcast, available first thing in the morning, Monday to Friday. For more great downloads, go to guardian.co.uk forward slash audio.